it's just oh my ridiculous God. how like it apparently just protecting yourself in the slightest way is actually symbolic of government oppression the government wants you to wear right. masks so that they can prove they can make you do things i don't know but that's not that's what's right. basically what it comes thing. down to right oh, yeah. yeah no i think i think what it really is is you can't trust somebody who wears a mask only a coward hides behind a mask, Commissioner. If the Batman truly had your best interests at heart, he would show his face by midnight tonight, or all of these orphans will die. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're playing Red Dead Redemption 2 and you're wearing a mask in town, they will ask you why you're wearing a mask. Too scared to show your face there, Fran? You get a lot of that. I mean, oh, maybe it's just we're back to Wild West times. What did Rockstar like, know maybe... and when did they know it? Or it was just to sell more Animal Crossing copies. Might have been. Sure. <laughs> this, is a, this is all you know, it's big Animal Crossing. <laughs> they always said Sega does what Nintendo don't, but they didn't know what Nintendo would Nintendo do for those big sales. <laughs> oh, boy. That whole thing uh, makes my brain hurt, Ben, and I don't like it. I don't like anything of what you just said. <laughs> Uh, yeah, social media sucks. Yeah, social media <laughs> does suck, uh, which is why we're back to talk about it. Welcome to Normal People. This is James Riegel here in Austin, Texas. Hans Jaeger in Indianapolis, Indiana. Ben Grimes in Austin, Texas. Adam Bailey, technically in Austin, Texas, but really just living in hell. So, <laughs> hi. Adam, why don't, why don't you uh, tell us oh. tell us what you're what you're dealing with right now? Why why are things so particularly hellish? Oh, cuz I spent a lot more time, probably twice as much time on social media the past couple weeks than I do and it's been terrible. Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry for your loss. It, it's as as <laughs> I've just been uh, reminded why I uh, don't swing that way. <laughs> Well, I, I buy that. It's kind of like that thing in college where, like, you have an experience at a party with something like Everclear, and you're like, holy shit, I'm never doing that again. That was the worst idea of my life. Right, And yeah. then two weeks later, you already know it's a bad thing, but you're there, you're with your buddies, <laughs> they got the jungle juice, and you're like, ah, yeah, I'll, I'll have a glass, sure. That turns into five, and next thing you know, you forgot the right. whole weekend, and you just hate yourself. That's basically it's... social media in a nutshell. Yeah, social media is ever clear because after you drink a little bit, like you're like, oh well, I can, I'm gonna drink some more. That's fun. It's like no, you're just killing yourself. So uh, part two, then this is our first part two. It's a pretty big topic. I mean, there's so much going on with social media and the way it's impacted our society today that. I really did feel impossible to hit that all in one episode, huh? Yeah, I mean, definitely. We were middle of talking about the atrocity that is Amazon and what they've done to <laughs> just the landscape of how websites are designed, the psychological tactics used by social media. And even at that point, we're already already well into that conversation. It was clearly time to break this one into a two-parter. Yeah, so I think we need to kind of circle back here. And uh, um, I mean, I, I assume that we all did at least a little bit of homework um i know i did i know about y'all uh but I, we're gonna try to get a little bit deeper into uh the history of social media and a little bit of you know why specifically it is that it works i mean why is it that social media is even a thing why is it that human beings crave social connections so much that we spend so much time on these platforms giving our data away to these corporations and so, Hans, I know that you in particular wanted to talk a little bit more about the about the history. Uh, so I'm going to throw the ball to you. Getting into the history of social media, it goes back quite a bit further than you might 
first realize, you know, if you kind of start thinking about just the general way that we communicate over uh, how we communicate on the Internet in the first place, you kind of take yourself all the way back to 1971 when the very first emails were sent. You know, this was kind of that earliest form of what social media could be and what kind of emerged out of it. You know, you start moving forward. And then you start seeing the rise of things like IRC, Internet Relay Chat, where it's this easy protocol. It's pretty easy to implement. I don't need to get into the boring details of what it means. But now it's a place where if, say, I have a topic that I want to talk to other people online about, I can go, all right, I'm going to make an IRC based around cars or books or video games. And that's 1988. Fast forward about a decade and all of a sudden you get the very first what's considered now the very first social media website. And that's, wait for it, sixdegrees.com. Doesn't everybody <laughs> just love sixdegrees.com? <laughs> no, obviously now defunct sixdegrees.com. As far as I know, it's not around anymore. But the idea was just trying to keep in touch with people from school and find friends list and reconnect with people like that. You know, and it's funny because we see our next one in 2002, which is Friendster, and then all of a sudden this snowball effect starts to happen. We suddenly have MySpace shortly thereafter, LinkedIn in 2003, Facebook in 2004, YouTube in 2005, Twitter 2006, all the way up to now we're looking at Instagram, Snapchat, Selfie something called filters, which I don't know what the fuck that is, but apparently that's also social media. Perhaps I'm aging myself here, but <laughs> and now into TikTok, you know, it, it was like once we once people realized what the power of social media was somewhere in that early 2000s bubble of it. The snowball started. It started rolling downhill and everybody was jumping in on this. Everybody wanted to be the next big social media boom. Some more successful than others. I mean, obviously, MySpace came and went, but LinkedIn is still around. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter are all still huge at this point, And they're all 15 plus years old right now. You know, yeah, it's, I it's still just, use Google Plus, right? Anybody, everybody else still on <laughs> their circle? Uh, I think I they actually forgot about Google that Plus. Yeah, they, did, they, they shut it down. I'm, I'm pretty just, sure that no. one got oh, you man. Down. You know, maybe you could still log in on your Google Stadia since that was such a. Oh. <laughs> yeah, man, it's funny. That was launched six months ago, and we're already talking about its demise. Google, I don't know what their plans were. Anyways, that's off topic. But to get into the, uh, to, to kind of hop into this, the point is, is that there is something very, there's a very powerful allure to being able to connect with people and to be able to connect with lots of people in that, that validation that starts to happen through using these kinds of services, be, be it for better or for worse, it it's an incredibly powerful thing that we all obviously with the sheer number of services out there nowadays that are just massively popular. It's obviously working. You know, you know? actually, uh, Hans, can you look into this for me? I, I think six degrees.com became uh, indeed because you need like six degrees to get any of the jobs on there. <laughs> <laughs> you uh, might possibly be right. I see you what might you did possibly there. be right. <laughs> Uh, for those out there, no, six degrees did not become indeed. It's, it's now defunct. But <laughs> hey, wait a minute! Hold on. This is the internet. We could just say shit, and then people would just believe it, right? If I want to make yeah. like, a, like a full length documentary that's full of complete nonsense, I can do that if I feel like it. And you yeah. know, it'll get millions of shares on YouTube, and you know, inspire real life protests. Exciting. Triggered. 
Yeah, also not to mention seeing people randomly share said documentary that you went, really? Uh, I thought you were better than this, you know? I just really did. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You this know, is, it's, this is it's kind of an epidemic week. of its own right now. Uh, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I don't know what's worse. Um, my dad didn't post that the pandemic, so I was very proud of him for that. <laughs> but then he posted a very obviously doctored video of Obama calling for the New World Order. And so I really don't know what to think. <laughs> yeah, well, and that stuff has been uh, kind of shared around for ages. I distinctly remember being a kid and getting emails like back on like, do you remember Juno? Anybody remember Juno? That was, uh, yeah. yeah, we had email, no. family email <laughs> yeah. through Juno. And we would get emails from our aunt <laughs> about how like, ah, well, what's going to happen is the president's going to sign this order that uh, it's going to be like Mexico and Canada and the United States is one super nation. And it's going to be like the start of the end times. And like right. all of that was getting spread around back then. Fun fact, um, that was actually left wing shit back then. Yeah, that was about um, George mm-hmm. Bush. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. What a tangled web we weave. Everyone, this this shit comes around. I ended up hearing yeah. around that same time there was this weird right wing conspiracy that was they were going to go get rid of the USD and create the Amero in order oh, to yes. compete with yes. the Euro because the Euro was so popular. That was always one of the more interesting ones. I'm like, what's <laughs> I, I don't know why you're so angry about the possibility of new currency. I don't know. I I was a kid at the time. It just did not make sense to me back then why people were so mad about this. Uh, yeah, that's a whole other thing that we could get into. Uh, uh, conspiracy theories in general. I think that that's that would be actually just a fun episode to talk about like America, uh, American culture and conspiracy theories. Because, I mean, you look at a figure like Alex Jones, right, who has been, you know, he's an example of somebody who's been completely purged from social media at this point uh, because nobody wants, you know, this, you know, kind of uh, – um, you know, super spreader of misinformation, viral misinformation on their platform in some way, at least not officially. Uh, and, you know, he started out as a very left leaning kind of hippie, you know, fight the man kind of guy. Well, yeah. that's definitely an angle that even throughout this episode, while I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories, because you're right, that deserves its own airtime. You could do several right. episodes about that. I do think that um, one thing I kind of want to focus on myself is that relationship between kind of the weird internet and the ephemera that has bled over into a more normal space over time because we're getting to a point where a lot of the stuff has been normalized um, and a lot of behavior that started in these kind of dens of anonymity has become acceptable even on the public stage where you see uh, Mm -hmm. acting politicians that are actually spouting some of these same ideas or sharing some of these same links And that is kind of wild to me. Uh, It's fascinating how even those little corners of the Internet that you wouldn't think uh, would have an impact do. And social media is a major vector for spreading that. So it's definitely uh, definitely an angle to discuss here. You know, back in the day, I think we talked some about this last episode as well, where we talked about, you know, 4chan started out as this weird dead of of anonymity and it was all about here it is total freedom total total freedom of speech total chaos sort of thing and as it evolved it kind of had this split but there is still this weird thing that starts to happen sometimes you start to rouse that part of the internet 
And all of a sudden they go, you know what? I bet you we can get mainstream media to believe this. And they just throw something out. They have mass, not mass numbers anymore, I don't think. Maybe so. You know, I'm not so in touch with it anymore. But they they can pull together these large numbers of people to spread a fake story. And they can very intentionally spread it because they know how to work these algorithms. They know how to, if I can get you know, 10,000 people every five minutes to search the same term from new IP addresses. Well, Google starts to think that this is an interesting story that people want to know more about. Then the spread starts. Other people start seeing this with related topics. And then the spread starts into Reddit. And then it spreads across the quote unquote front page of the internet, which spreads into YouTube, which spreads into everywhere else. And all of a sudden, what's a relatively small collective of people can have a massive impact. And it seems to be something that we continue to ignore. You know, we we hear about these things. We hear about it having happened. But at the same time, it's also, you know, when like one in particular, I remember being uh, Pepe the Frog being um, a racial slur. That's what it was. That started yeah, as like a fortune a, a hate thing. symbol. Just, you know, yeah, uh, that's what it was. Mm-hmm. It was a hate symbol. And that was started as a 4chan thing. And sure enough, what happens? That symbol is now banned on places like Twitch. It's banned in places like it's Reddit. A it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You give them what they want. And now right. it kind of is. Right. Uh, and yeah, right. It well, it's like similar things happened with like the, the OK, OK sign, yeah, right? Definitely. Right. I mean, right. It, we're now like for the sake, politicians they tried to do this that, with like, milk, kind of drinking milk. And that's that's the level of uh, uh, of weirdness that can be achieved with this kind of targeted uh, social media activity Um, and vice signaling it. it, Yeah, it 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 takes advantage of mechanisms that are not, you know, we, we tend to think of social media and its problems as being artifacts of the digital age. And it, they are kind of like pouring gasoline on a fire, but there was already a fire. The reason why these things work at all is because of human nature. It's because of the way that humans are wired to think in groups. And this is a very critical point. And I think especially, and this kind of dovetails with uh, conspiracism, so much of conspiracy thought is predicated on the belief that everybody else is a sheep except for you. You're the one who sees through all the lies. You're independently minded, yada, yada, yada. Ironically, these things that you believe are things that you got because you heard them from somebody else and now you believe them. <laughs> so they're they're not. And you're probably a part of some sort of like social mm-hmm. group. Yes, for that it, it's actually mm-hmm. it's all like, about you know, what your tribe believes, not what you as an individual believes. There's actually no such thing as right. an independent person, period, in terms of the evolutionary logic that got us. To be successful as a species, it just doesn't exist. Uh, a, a human who has to learn everything for the first time is a dead human. That's just the reality. And so as a result, uh, the way that we're wired is to look to the group for information. And so whoever it is that we feel like we trust, and this can change over the course of our lives, absolutely. But, you know, there's all kinds of markers that we take to, you know, uh, use as a shorthand for, hey, that guy over there is a member of my group. I can trust the information that's coming from him. So social media is a way to connect all the people that you think are a member of your team together in one place from all across wherever, and then kind of, you know, hyper accelerate this form of information sharing, which, you know, and 
in the broadest possible sense, this is adaptive behavior. This is something that has helped us be successful as a species. You know, it, this is culture. This is how it works. Uh, but mm-hmm. when you introduce all this noise into the system and it's happening so fast, it is incredible how quickly information mutates in social media. This is something that is genuinely unprecedented. So we're seeing kind of like a, you know, this sort of uh, extended mind that we already have in the form of culture running up against this new tool for uh, for extending that even further and hyper accelerating its functions. And what it's creating right now is a lot of chaos. And it's difficult to kind of step back and look at social media in in total and really assess whether what it's adding to the human experience globally is more positive than it is negative. And I think that there are definitely, you know, pockets of positivity and genuinely, con- uh, uh, you know, constructive thinking and mass, you know, organization. I mean, we're even seeing this in, in terms of COVID. Despite all the misinformation, there's a lot of scientists who are able to talk to each other instantaneously because of social media who are now able to combat this virus much more effectively than they could have, say, a century ago or even 50 or maybe even 25 years ago. And so we shouldn't underrate that. Uh, and it's it's going <laughs> to yeah. probably take some serious time for our civilization to really understand what we've unleashed. Uh, but it's not purely because of some, you know, external force that's doing it to us. This is human nature just kind of magnified. Yeah, the human nature has not had a yeah tool. Exactly. As you're going to say, Ben, we have not had a tool uh, to use like this ever. Um, and I think it's what, what's what's really interesting about it is that the technology keeps updating so fast that on one hand, it's like a, there's a large population, you know, large portion of the population that doesn't have the literacy needed to kind of like translate reliable information from unreliable, unreliable information. You know, like there, there, there are certain cues that I think certain people can have to be like, well, that's probably fake because I can tell I'm being manipulative, but not like, sorry, excuse me, excuse me, that I'm being manipulated, but not everybody has that kind of like literacy to catch that. In, a, in part, I think it's because a lot of the boundaries, a lot of the lines have become blurred with the rapid evolution of the Internet. A lot of everything all at once is being dumped into the same pool and people don't know how to react to that Uh, like you were saying that literacy that cultural literacy as well as technological um is something that a lot of people are struggling with because all of this weird ephemera from the deep sections of the internet is kind of being pooled together now in widely accessible areas now this is the part where I tap a big neon sign that says, I am not a sociologist, but I do think that <laughs> a big part of what's going on here is that that blend uh, where all of that's coming together at once. And um, in part, it's because you have kind of this parallel evolution going on. So um, let's say there's a tale of two internets. There are two wolves inside you, if you will. Uh, two internets. And those two internets, you've got this normal space, that's your, uh, like, 
Back in the day, those early sites like Hans was talking about, uh, a couple um, that I would mention, uh, GeoCities, Tripod, while not explicitly social media as we would understand it today, their purpose was largely to be customized and shared in a way you could read them right. as a precursor to something like MySpace. And that's happening mm-hmm. kind of, that that's like your normal accessible internet, like, hey kids, make a website with some cool MIDI music and a custom cursor. Like, all that stuff was fun and, you know, relatively average people were getting into it or making cool fan pages or wacky fan pages about stuff that they liked on the other <laughs> hand around the same time you have the ascendancy of myspace uh the early early days of things like linkedin and the like uh specifically around 2003 um little site by the name of 4chan springs up now 4chan is a companion to a pre-existing japanese site called futaba channel or 2chan there are a multitude of chans out there, it happens, but they're all basically the same <laughs> right. thing. Um, anonymous image yeah, boards. That's, anonymous that's the image concept boards. of any chan. These are places where information just is pooled from everywhere. You can post pretty much whatever the hell you want to, and people largely do. So a lot of jokes, a lot of political discussion, a lot of just about everything under the sun pops up on these boards, and it's all anonymous, which is part of the appeal in a sense. It's a place where... There's a relative safety that's like, oh, man, like, I would never say this in front of my family. I would never say this in front of my friends, but I'm going to say it here because I can get away with it. Um, And like, I don't want to frame that as an explicitly malicious thing. Um, Anonymity is important to a lot of people in a lot of contexts. There are those out there who are, let's say, struggling with their identity. Let's say that you're uh, a young person who may be like gay or trans and you can't come out uh, in your home environment. But through anonymity on the Internet, you have the safety to express yourself. To that end, I think preserving anonymity is important. But uh, there are people who use that maliciously as well. Like, you don't know who I am. I could be somebody important. Hey, check this out. I've got the inside scoop on this crazy thing that's happening in our government. It turns out everybody is a vampire. And they have been the whole time. And the vampire faction is fighting the lizard faction for your bodily fluids. Like, all of that stuff is out there, too. Anonymity is a mixed bag. And I think... Um, you know, that primordial soup of weird internet with, with the chans and like all of that culture, like the fun stuff, like lolcats and rickrolling kind of crashed over into the mainstream and the rest of it started bubbling in too. And so what we're looking so at ben, now, I, I, I hate to interrupt, but I think you, you just hit on something really interesting here. And it, it occurs to me, would 4chan be as effective as it is in spreading misinformation, whether deliberately or not, without uh, the non-anonymous platforms like Twitter and Facebook. Well, so I think that's kind of the f- not to cut you off, Ben, but no, no, a go quick ahead. like recap about it, just to chance and how they function. It's not necessarily that they themselves are the direct link on spreading this kind of misinformation. It's more that campaigns can be started there amongst lots of anonymous people to then target. Yes, sometimes they choose to target mainstream media. Sometimes they're targeting Facebook. Sometimes it's Reddit, any other number of places. But I guess the the big thing about that anonymity that comes out of a place like 4chan or any of the chans that existed prior to it or after it, for that matter, um, a big part of it that comes out of it is that so 
to the point that Ben was making about anonymity, there is this double-edged sword that happened with it. Not only do you have this one part of it where the beginning of the chans wasn't really too interested in spreading this information, or at least back in the day when I used to hang out on B-Threads, you know, like, it was just fun, goofy shit. Here's a bit of weirdness over here. Here's some weird anime I found, or here's a manga from here, or whatever it may be. It's all fine. It's all fun in games. but. As the anonymity started closing in on the internet, as there was less and less of it, yeah. that's where this split happens. And that's when you get and, part of that. And what, what, I, what I'm getting at here is that, uh, and this is a hypothesis that I haven't seen directly addressed, uh, because generally when I see, uh, you know, old school message boards, because it's not just 4chan. Obviously, there have been message boards, you know, prior to that. They were all generally anonymous. You picked a username. It was probably Dragon Lord 69 or some shit. <laughs> and, you know, you would just, you know, be talking about whatever topic that message board was about. And it was not about sharing your personal information. And it was not about uh, signaling who you actually are. In other words... The thing that I think is the supercharger that's actually spreading misinformation is the tribal nature of our real lives. In other words, when you take stuff out of the anonymous space of the Internet, in which you can say whatever you want, and then you uh, have this sort of collision between people saying shit, sometimes, you know, deliberately to misinform. Maybe this is just part of the, the fun conspiracy singing, but that stuff is actually kind of contained over there because within that space, you could be, you know, a, a, a purple people eater and people wouldn't know who you are. Not really. Right. And so if you're trying to connect with other purple people eaters, uh, it's kind of a bad place to go because everybody is wearing some kind of mask. On social media, though, it's all about doing the exact opposite. It is broadcasting who you are as loudly as possible. You're looking for Twitter, like lines. Right. And, and Twitter, uh, <clears throat> even though you can be anonymous on there, is overwhelmingly uh, counts with some degree of connection to your real identity, even if it's just your political identity. And the function is... Uh, kind of explicitly political. Uh, and this is part of why Facebook has, you know, Facebook and Twitter have become so intolerable for kind of like the casual user. How are you supposed to get away from all this tribal shit? Uh, you know, if we're really longing for message boards. We want to just go talk about our topic. If, if you can't, well, yeah, because if you have a, uh, uh, you know, a Facebook then your skin color, your background, your political beliefs, all those things are just out there. They're part of the user experience. And now they could be used against you, too. You're, you can't really say anything without somebody like basically anything you say is now a rock that's going to hit somebody else and be like, hey, they said that. I don't like their team. That guy's a Democrat. Fuck him. You know, if nobody knows if you're, you're a Democrat, if you or a purple people leader if you are uh, truly anonymous there is uh, a safety to that and uh, the flip side of that of course is that if you 
all if you're grouping all the, the let's say the the boomers together and they all kind of identify with one another now this becomes like the super spreader of information because of the way that your brain picks up reliable information well so and so said it he was my high school friend we're part of the same generation we saw the same bands together back in the 80s he would never <laughs> lie to me and he shared plandemic ergo it's probably there's probably something to it that all those kinds of yeah, you, social you, signals you're calling my friend a liar <laughs> right exactly it's like that that kind of social dynamic that is what's boosting misinformation yeah i mean identity can lend a credit uh credibility to that where like oh yeah i know this guy of course i that that does make sense and i do think as well that um like there's a lot of things that get pinned on like chans or message boards and the like and Look, like, I don't want to paint too rosy a picture here. A lot of those places are total anarchy in the worst ways. But, um, you know, like, there can be some fun stuff. Again, Rick Rowling, that came from the chans, you know, uh, like a lot of those, like. Hiken has cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers, you know, like, oh, that's that's fun. You know, that's harmless. Like, there's, there's, it's good and bad. There's a lot of everything. But I do think that um, there is this tendency online, especially after the last few years to go like, oh, man, here comes another Chan op. And like, look, I don't want to um, minimize the damage that can be done by a bunch of assholes online who decide they want to be cruel to kids or cruel to, to women or whoever. Um, but uh, at the same time, like, man, like, you know, it's not like some secret shelter where they're plotting, like, to overthrow the world. Like, you can just go to 4chan right now. You can just personally go log on to 4chan. You don't have to log on. You just click the link and, like, oh, you can read their stuff. You can see what they're planning. You can see what they're saying. Um, again, it's it's chaos over there. Um, and to that end, like, while that chaos has kind of bubbled over and a lot of those mindsets, uh, a lot of the approaches to politics that they have on those sites has bubbled over more into the mainstream. Um, I don't think it's like some kind of master scheme either. Like we shouldn't give them this credit where, Oh, it's these 4chan kids who have managed to like ruin politics. That's not what happened at all. No, Um, it it is part of what's going on. But uh, I think like you were saying, James, it's the way it dovetails with the rest of social media. The way that the, these two flavors, like peanut butter and chocolate, have uh, kind of merged into this spectacular shit sandwich that is the modern internet. <laughs> and we uh, are all kind of struggling to figure out how to deal with that. How do we parse the good from the bad? How can we preserve freedom of speech and maybe not deal with all of this this crazy, um, you know, like conspiracy peddling um, that gets increasingly broadcast into the mainstream through things like, I mean, there are sitting politicians who have um, implicitly voiced uh, things supportive of stuff like QAnon or Pizzagate. That is absurdly dangerous. Validating that stuff is just nuts. But, uh, But here we are. So, like, how do we preserve freedom of speech? but crack down on that. How do we stop that dam from leaking? What do we do? And I think that's the issue YouTube found with Plandemic, 
right? Because they started taking the link down, but to a certain degree that amplified its signal. Cause then I started seeing everybody share it. It's just like, watch it before it gets taken down. Obviously they're onto something cause they don't want, yeah. they don't want you to, to know about <laughs> this. But the it's just like, effect. Uh, yeah. you know, right. she said, take down a picture of my house. The deletion of the house is my truth. You can't silence me. <laughs> right. But it's just at the same time, though, it is spreading some pretty bad misinformation. So it's just like it's hard to know what YouTube's moral obligation is because like it's just like which one ends up, minim- you know, minimizing its effect. Because sometimes you can just let crazy shit get posted and people will just ignore it. Where if you delete it, it makes it seem important. But sometimes it's like, well, that's just blatantly false and it's getting millions of views you know so maybe we shouldn't let it propagate so honestly like i don't know what you do in that situation and obviously like that, that's a dilemma right that everybody is facing all the time well and i think it brings up a pretty interesting point about what role the people who run places like youtube and facebook and the powers that be that run those types of things how do you decide how much how much influence they should have inside of their own platforms. There are definitely people who believe that these places should be very heavily policed. Everything should be vetted. There should be people moderating content 24 seven and making sure that there isn't things like massive misinformation or clearly illegal things. And I think that to an extent that that is absolutely right. But The other side to that sword is you will definitely have a lot of people who say that now you are also risking that censorship that can come along with that kind of moderation. Because then it becomes, you know, whose job is it to decide, like, who gets to say what's acceptable and not acceptable, and I I get that. And that's that's the question that we keep coming up to, right, is, you know, is, you know, a good example was when we were talking uh, a while back, Alex Jones got brought up, and when he got finally just taken down from YouTube because, again... Pizzagate and all that other crap he was spreading left and right, he got taken down. And you definitely had this was one of the first times I started hearing this from uh, a more conservative side saying that YouTube is a, a leftist media, blah, blah, blah. All they care about is getting rid of the right wing. They don't do anything about left wing nut jobs on their platforms either. And then it's like, okay, well, that brings up another conversation then. Let's pretend for a second that that's the truth. Not that I believe that is the truth at all. Let's clarify that. I don't believe that to be the truth at all. But you come to this point of the end of the day, it's a private platform. It is a private entity. YouTube owns all of this content. They choose to do what they want with it. Can I say that this is somehow censorship because they took down someone that they didn't like their content? I would have to argue no, because it is, again, a private entity. This isn't something that you... I just, I feel like there is this constant double-edged sword where it's like, when you see a platform do something you don't like, then, oh, they need to be treated like a utility. This isn't fair. They need to be fair to everybody. But when you see a platform do something that you do like, oh, no, 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 you can easily defend it as they're a private corporation. They're allowed to do what they want and they can curate their own content. And I think that this is something that we see across Facebook, across Reddit, across, again, 4chan, every social media you can think of. Of, this conversation starts to come up. And I think before we start getting to a place where this becomes a more positive social outlet for people, uh, that's a question at some point we're going to have to answer. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I have that answer. I really don't. That is a very tough question to find a, a truly 
helpful answer for everyone. But I do think it's something worth discussing. Well, I think to an extent it has to do with tactics. That is a tactic, that whole, ah, well, you're just banning conservatives. You know, they did the same thing on Twitter, where that was a very common line there as well. Like, well, you're only banning our guys. You're clearly taking a side here. And that is a deliberate tactic to kind of try to shift the Overton window on that. it's, It's very purposeful. They're going out of their way to try to make that conversation. Ah, like, look, your bias proves that we're right. Um, it's the why there's such a fixation amongst extremists in particular on censorship. Look, hey, I'm not a pro-censorship kind of guy, right? You know, I, I don't like the idea of censorship, but um, you see a lot of people uh, speak about censorship online in a way that's very pointed and very disingenuous. They're doing it deliberately to kind of... It, it's this fallacy, right, where, like, by censoring me, you have proven the truth of my message. They're trying to silence me because they don't want you to hear the truth. That's the tactic. It's a very old tactic. But um, right. before we can kind of cut through that, we have to really be able to uh, to recognize it. And that, uh, in turn, will mean boosting this kind of cultural literacy to kind of loop back to what you were talking about earlier, Adam. Um a lot of people have no idea that you can just do that or people would do that. Like we have this myth of um, kind of bipartisan fairness uh, ingrained in our culture. It it, uh, affects a lot of our news media where it's like, ah, well we got to kind of play both sides. And so what you have is all news is treated equal. So you can have like 99 scientists say that, Drinking bleach actually kills you. But one guy right. says, actually, drinking bleach is great, and you'll grow a third limb that'll help you do tasks around the house. And, and the papers will print, there's some debate as to whether drinking bleach is good or bad. Exactly. And that's just, that is insane. Right. But that's part of why we're here. We just treat everything this way. And, folks, not every side is equally valid. What I was also going to say with the, uh, just jumping off like the cultural uh, literacy, standpoint is again kind of like how rapidly this technology has evolved i want to think from like a generational standpoint because i'm sure you guys kind of grew up with the idea that like oh old people just don't get technology and you kind of think that that's been the way it's been for like forever but really that's that's kind of like a 19th 20th 21st century thing that people used to like Kids used to be able to learn technology straight from their parents and nothing changed for generations. Um, And then basically electronics hit and then obviously, you know, the computer and the Internet. And it's just like far outstripped the pace of anything we've had before. So it's really hard now for parents to pass relevant information to their kids and also join with their kids in learning this new technology. And so there's this kind of like generational Mm. rift between how we learn to handle these things. And I think that has a large impact on like some of the things that are going on with how we treat this technology. It's just like there is just a rift in the population of people who can understand how to use this. Whether it's just because, you know, you're older and neuroplasticity or the, you know, honestly just like life gets in the way, you don't have time to learn these things, and so on and so forth. So uh I'm not 100 percent sure my endpoint is with that, but I think that's something that's going on. Well, I think it's important to note that not every victim of this propaganda out there is elderly or part of an older it's generation. Not. It's like, true. It, it happens to uh, younger people all the time. There was a dude I uh, worked with out at uh, out at a scout camp who uh, went to a, a pretty pretty left uh, you know college, like big hippie type, 
And he came out of that like he was a Bernie guy in 2016. He is hardcore QAnon right now. It is surreal. And so, uh, yeah, like that can happen to people in our generation, too. Like it just it grabs oh, yeah, a hold absolutely. of you. Who knows how it got him? But man, like he is in deep now. And there are also, just to clarify it, listeners, there's plenty of people who are elderly who are also, you know, badass at technology and get how this goes, too. So it's not a, you know, clear cut thing. Yeah, no, but I do think there's definitely something to the generational rift idea, especially in terms of how uh, people are using social media now. I mean, like, it's, you know, been basically the... uh, you know, uh, the common knowledge, it is known that old people use Facebook um, <laughs> and and young people use Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, whatever, uh, you know, the, the other platforms, basically. Uh, but, you know, Facebook is the land of old people. It's like our parents got on it and they never left. Now they they control the Facebook lands. Do not <laughs> do not, you know, trespass unless you are willing to pay the price of having to argue with your aunt again. Um and that's facebook simba you should not go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it has that vibe but that i think that is because of the the social dynamics as well i mean obviously there it's easy to be dismissive of people of a particular political stripe or of a particular uh generation because we tend to think of them as being less intelligent but look the reality is individual humans are not very smart on our own. Where we get our intelligence from is from the group that we are part of. This is what the uh, the kind of the collective brain, the extended mind of culture is intended to do. This is why we're so good at surviving. Not because, you know, nature d- creates these little, you know, individual bear grills that go around and kick ass. Well, the only reason why even bear grills could do the kind of shit that he could do on those shows is because he learned all that stuff from other fucking people. This is how information works in human beings this is how intelligence works in human beings our ability to adapt is social it is all social so for people Mm -hmm. that are let's say if we look at the the economics right there's a lot of social pressure on people because of their economic situation people feel lonely they feel depressed they feel vulnerable and so they feel nostalgic for a time in which they did not feel vulnerable and so they're going to try to reconnect with the people that uh, they have fond memories of interacting with before things got shitty. And so that means that the old people are going to be kind of clumping together. And when they do that, they're going to be sharing information that they may not fully really understand where it's coming from because of the pace of the technology. And again, this doesn't mean that they are on an individual level stupid. The network itself kind of makes them stupid or do stupid things because it's exploiting the lack of bandwidth that they have to really, you know, take all this information on board and think about it critically because the the craving for belonging and to fit in and to connect is like physical hunger. Your brain looks at them as as being the same. And when you are rejected from a social group, it's like you actually got physically hurt. Um, I mean, you can dull the you know, the pain of a social rejection even just a little bit with Tylenol. Like this is you know something that we know from neuroscience. Um, it's real pain. And so if you don't want to be rejected by your high school friends and they're all sharing this misinformation and you want to be you know, 
a, a real American and you want to belong, then you're going to share this information. You're going to parrot these lines. You're going to believe the same shit because the alternative is actually being alone, actually being independent and being independent for a human sucks. Man, like it, it, the Internet is just so clickish, too. So on the one hand, you have this pressure to belong, this strong in-group, out-group mentality. And on the other hand, there's this uh, factor where it's kind of hard to be the new guy and, and learn anything. Like there's all that, you know, that widespread, oh, hey, you don't know these obscure social cues from this specific social media platform. So get a load of this loser. And everybody just shares that around, you know, ha ha. He doesn't know how the three seashells work. You know, it's just it's that kind of thing. And um, yeah, it's just uh, it's cruel and it makes it hard to get into things like uh, I'm going to kind of go off on a, a minor tangent here in that i think we see this manifested in a lot of fandoms and in a lot of um, a lot of media engagement and that's related to the way that people interact on social media like i'm a big fan of uh, i like uh, dark souls it's uh, an obscure video game uh, that you probably haven't heard of. Never Definitely heard, haven't of heard of it. The internet yeah. has talked about that today. <laughs> Definitely and, um, obscure. It took me forever to Speaking get into it because pain. it's very clickish <laughs> where a lot of people online talk about how, oh, this is really hardcore and like it's hard to get into. And when I played it for the first time, I realized, oh, this is fun. It's relaxing even. And that barrier <laughs> gone, I got into it. But that that kind of like membrane, you know, of of just jerks online saying, oh, yeah, you wouldn't even like this. It's too intense um, is uh, a phenomenon we see not just around video games, but in terms of like actual social media experience where it's like, oh, like grandma doesn't know how to use the Internet. And maybe she's scared to ask because, you know, like she's just the, the minute she starts asking, quote unquote, stupid questions your grandson's just going to start rolling his eyes and doesn't really want to help. And like, you know, you're, you're this person with all this age and experience. So you should just kind of play it off. Like, you know how things work and that, uh, that can really affect people, you know, like it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to get a leg up on your own and people don't want to help you because it's not cool to help people. And that really sucks. Like we, we've built this culture around, uh, kind of pushing people out um, again, in groups and out groups. Uh, I remember the 2016 election, uh, Hillary Clinton made that uh, remark about a basket of deplorables. And what happened? Well, all these Republicans who were hardline Trump voters, like those of them that were in that camp, immediately embraced it. Immediately embraced it. It was a badge. It was like that song, you know, Jesus Freak, where it's like, what will people do if they find out I'm a Jesus Freak was the whole, like, it's a badge of honor. It means I'm a cool guy because, like, what I believe is true. By calling me a deplorable, you are validating that I am right to support this person, the obviously smartest man <laughs> in America. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, like, it's, it's this cargo cult nonsense. And... um we see that on the left, too, like the dirtbag left. Uh, it's the same thing. It's this kind of like, oh, yeah, well, like in group, out group, you call me a dirtbag because you're just a liberal who doesn't get it. And that means that, um, you know, like my beliefs are valid. Uh, really, me being a dirtbag is cool. It's 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 the right people hate me, which which proves I'm right. And uh, you see that across the aisle, across the political spectrum. It's rampant on social media. I think it's a, it's a similar effect with the snowflakes on the left, right? 
Yeah. Where it's like we've kind of taken that on as a badge of honor as well. It's, your boobs mean nothing. I've seen what you cheer. That's that's what that <laughs> kind of comes down to. There's been a lot of studies done specifically on what's known as Dunbar's number that kind of explains that phenomenon. And the fact that there are essentially 150 people in your life that you can actually be friends with. Now, that's not every relationship that you can hold, but that means 150 meaningful contacts, 150 people that you feel comfortable with in a room, having a conversation, sitting down with for a drink, that sort of thing. And now there are larger numbers, but supposedly based on Dunbar's number and Dunbar's research, 1500 is kind of your max. And that's just people that you recognize, let alone people you would actually be quote unquote, having meaningful contact with. And so because of this, this means that one of the big side effects to me that I see out of something like this is that with something like Dunbar's number, the theory, or at least some of the research might point to that this was based on about how big a tribe needed to be back in the day. And so if you're only ever looking at groups of 150, you are always the best at at least something. You're not the best at everything. You're not going to be the best, the fastest bike rider. That, that's probably somebody else. But maybe you're the best at fishing or maybe you're the best at hunting for berries or any other number of things. But when you start to put yourself in this place where you are sitting on social media with all of these things around you coming in, you no longer will be the best at anything. And I can't say that this is strictly something that has come out of social media. I think mainstream media has caused some of these issues as well. But I think that social media has very much created a it's created a much bigger problem with this now where because people want to broadcast who they are so often, you have this direct comparison now between yourself and 10 other people who may be quote unquote, the best at the thing that you're supposed to be the best at inside of your own tribe. And so this starts to reinforce in my, in my estimation, this starts to reinforce this tribalism because now it's okay. Well, I'm not the best at that. This other guy is, so I should probably be listening to what that other guy says, even though whatever that other guy is showing you might be bullshit. You don't really know that. I think Dunbar's number starts to explain a lot of issues that we have with social media right now and how our reach has gotten too, has in some way almost gotten too far amongst our peers. Right. Like there, there is a, this is where, you know, social media is actually a unique thing um, because even within a city, you know, you have your block, right? You have your neighborhood, you have your borough, you know, you have the the part of town that you might, you know, historically speaking, you know, before the the, you know, kind of advent of, you know, our kind of commuter culture. Generally speaking, you lived in a particular place. You interact with a particular set of people. Those were your people. Now, there there is going to be a broader sense of and we've kind of developed uh, cognitive heuristics to extend beyond the, uh, you know, the kind of the tribal cap or the cognitive cap of 150, you know, roughly the, the Dunbar's number. And that's through uh, kind of, you know, signs and signifiers like your ethnic group or your religion. Uh, those were things uh, that allowed us to kind of offload even more of our, our, our social bandwidth to a larger set of, of minds that they can you know then pool reliable information 
uh, back to you. Uh, but when you have social media throwing all those groups together in one big kind of massive noise in a way that uh, typically, you know, isn't reflected physically, uh, then that kind of chaos really wreaks cognitive havoc. Uh, this, yeah. this is why taking control of your user experience isn't just like a nice thing to do. It's imperative for your own mental health, which is really your own physical health. It wears on you if you don't really take deliberate control of it. And even then, even if you do everything right, you have to take breaks. It's like drinking from a fire hose. There's too many damn people. And if you're keeping track of them and if you care about what all of your followers think of you, oh, I'm going to post something else. Gee, I sure hope it's clever and they all like me. That shit, it, it starts to eat away at you over time. Uh, and this is part of the reason why a lot of the most popular accounts that you see in places like Twitter, in which it's this constant turnover of like time to say something super witty and that's a big put down, you know, so that way I can get my 25,000 likes or whatever. Uh, those people <laughs> become really toxic really fast because as your your uh, your mental bandwidth decreases, bad behavior shoots up. So we. Uh, because we're social creatures and we need to be kind of operating somewhere comfortably uh, within that kind of uh, uh, Dunbar's number, um, you know, scope. If you're operating above that number all the time, which you care about what theoretically thousands of people think, you are stretching yourself way too thin. And you can't actually conceive of what a thousand people might think and the amount of cognitive diversity that's in that group. And so it's literally just noise. It's it's whatever you project your insecurities uh, most often onto that group. And that's going to lead to uh, bad behavior for you. It's going to lead to toxic incentives for groups. We categorize everything. I mean, the human mind, I think, to survive in this complicated world kind of puts everything in little compartments or boxes. And it's one of the roots for behaviors like stereotyping, where uh, there's, you know, a lot of negative things about that. But a big uh, a big part of why it happens in the first place, I think, is that mental need to it's like, OK, so this is new information. I'm going to group this with like information and try to make sense of it. And that behavior, um, you know, it, uh, it it gets us in trouble. And uh, here in social media, like we are just constantly exposed on the Internet to all of this, this flood of constant new information, all this stuff, just, you know, like you said, drinking from the fire hose and uh, we can't put stuff in boxes fast enough. It's like being set loose in a department store full of new ideas. You know, exposure to information is not a bad thing, but here you are wandering the aisles and it's like, ooh, I'll have one of those and one of those and one of those. And the next thing you know, you've got like a bunch of conspiracy theories in your cart at the checkout um, because you don't know not to do that or you may not know not to do that. I think it's not just the conspiracy theories, though. It's just like this desire to do everything. Um, I know that I feel like that a lot, and I'm assuming a lot of other people feel that same way, but it's just like, suddenly it feels like everything yeah. is possible, and, and it's there's a not. pressure to know everything, where it's like, oh, so you, you don't, don't want to just pick that. up, yeah, it's like, well, you don't want to just pick up how to play the guitar, it's like, oh, you know, this summer I'm going to teach myself the guitar, it's like, well, you're going to teach yourself the guitar, piano, audio mixing, painting, in another language, it's just like, like that. I feel like that kind of thing feels real, and it's not. Sure. 
Sure. And then the response half the time is you're like, oh, yeah, I learned to play the guitar. And someone's like, oh, can you play a G major pentatonic, blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, no, I don't know that. And their response is, really? You don't know that? And you say you can play the guitar. <laughs> that same kind of pressure just yeah, starts exactly. to build on every every single thing that we see consistently. Again, back to that comparison we make. We we all make this comparison of ourselves to everyone around us on social media constantly now. And I wish I could refine the story again that I originally heard about this, but it is becoming damaging to us. Actually, it's leading to this weird toxicity in so many hobbies for people now, where if you are fully invested in this hobby, you have to know everything about this hobby or this topic or this thing. Otherwise you're not truly a fan of it. You aren't truly a practitioner. There's no such thing as being a novice or an intermediate anymore. It's It's just either you're the best at it. You're the worst at it. It's that gatekeeping I was talking about earlier where, you know, Mm -hmm. again, you've got like, certain video games or certain bits of media where like just this obsessive knowledge uh, or skill is kind of held up uh, or championed um, aggressively by, and it should be noted a vocal few, like to kind of loop back to that. Like one of the things that I was kind of taken aback by was uh, I put off uh, experiencing games like that for so long because of the internet culture around them and how standoffish that was. When I got inside that world, I realized that a lot of the community is actually very friendly. But there's this hard outer shell, again, like a membrane of just assholes online who are, you know, always chest thumping about um, how hardcore you have to be to have this skill, to play this instrument, to play this game, to, to do, like... Do you know the full filmography of such and such? You know, it's like, oh, you like mm. this band? Name five of their albums. You know, it's it's that mindset. And uh, yeah, that gatekeeping is uh, is brutal. But there is a chestnut of goodness hidden behind it. So, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, Hans, you're, you're leaving me with a kind of an inescapable conclusion. And I think, you know, everybody else has kind of pinned me in on this as well. Is that social media is trash. Fuck social media. Unfortunately, it is. But that's okay. And I I wish it wasn't that way. You know, we we do have and we'll we'll have to talk about this, you know, on on a different, you know, podcast when we kind of get deeper into, you know, why it is that we're social beings and all the different ways that that manifests. I know that, you know, Adam and I in particular could talk about that infinitely. Um, But the. You know, it's it's the tragedy, right? It's social media. I mean, being social is a positive thing. And the the fact that it's not a positive experience um, so often is, uh, you know, just one of those most it's one of the most tragic comic you know things about the, the modern Internet culture. Um, and, you know, who knows how things will develop uh, from here, I, I don't think that we've seen the 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 ultimate form of social media. I think that you know this technology it's it's still in its infancy. So I mean, who knows uh, what is on the horizon? So thank you for you know tuning in, listening to us uh, rant about social media, and hopefully found something valuable and hear some insight. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? We're just normal people. We're not experts, uh, but you can support the show on Patreon. Uh, at uh, patreon.com slash James Treacle. Uh, also, you can find me on Twitter at James Treacle. Uh, if for some reason you're still on social media uh, and I'll still be there. I mean, come on. We're still going to be there. I don't know about Hans. Hans is pretty good about <laughs> avoiding it. Adam's pretty good about avoiding it. 
I know Ben and I are diehard addicts. Um, occasionally, <laughs> we'll, we'll run away. I, but, I have but, droughts. <laughs> That's what I was. That's what I was gonna say. I spend my time, but I, I tend to lurk on on my Reddit forums, and it's a much quieter place, a much more oh, man, curated I, place. It's, it's much. It's much healthier. Whenever I get on like a Reddit kick, and I'm spending most of my time there, man, I feel so much better. Yeah, <laughs> but you again, will catch again, anonymous forums, man. Uh, more positive. Yeah, to an extent. To yeah. an extent. I'm not saying but, they don't have their problems, all right? Because they definitely do. I'm just saying that oh, on yeah. balance, I prefer them. I think. <laughs> all right. So, Ben, you want to give us uh, your your info? Where, where can people find you on the internet? Yeah, if you're so point? inclined, you can follow me on Twitter at at don't ask Jeeves. And uh, again, uh, please donate to that Patreon if you can. Uh, by all means, uh, free us from the shackles of our lousy day jobs. We would uh, we would thank you uh, profusely. Yeah. I must say, yeah, I have seen a few of you out there donating to the Patreon. I'm pretty darn excited that at least some of you all care, and I would love <laughs> to see more of you care as well. So, by all means, please, please come support us on Patreon. I don't think any of us could say that enough, but aside from that, if you are out there looking for me, uh, you will find me over at Twitter at HansJaeger90. Um, and otherwise, you'll find me at HJaeger90 over on Reddit. And then, uh, yeah, again, thank you, everybody, supporting our Patreon. And you can find me on Twitter uh, at Adam the Bailey. Um, uh, I guess you can also find me on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash n slash post. I... <laughs> you know what? That's like the first time I've ever heard anybody plug their LinkedIn in a podcast. Nerd. We are breaking yeah, new ground on Nerd I just needed to... Uh, folks out here representing like, what, 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 the business uh, world. Uh, next week, this I'll give you my MySpace. sponsored by Indeed. <laughs> Squarespace. That's Formerly the, Six Degrees. Check out ZipRecruiter, folks, if you want to be miserable and never uh, find a job. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, uh, no, no. See, we can't leave any of this in here because if one day one of them comes to try and sponsor us, they're going to be like, no, well, actually, they just talk I'll, shit I about turn down us. a sponsorship no, from ZipRecruiter. I'm, I'm saying that right now. Oh, fuck yeah. that shit. <laughs> no, no. Um, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying we support them. I'm just saying it. Before if you we, work for ZipRecruiter, you can take this podcast and shove it up your ass. Oh, God. Okay, Hans, well, you want to take us out? I am Hans, Adam, and Ben. And I am James Treacle, signing off for Normal People. <laughs>